As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Nian Cat, a video of LeBron James dunking and a tweet by Jack Dorsey. These all have one thing in common. They were not sold in recent months for millions of dollars, despite what you may have heard. What actually happened was the digital signatures of these three pieces of media were sold off to a new breed of 21st century collectors, bringing massive attention to these non-fungible tokens, or NFTs. Now, overwhelmingly, these astronomical prices have been ridiculed by outside observers that perhaps understandably see spending Lamborghini money on a Pop-Tart cat gif that you can watch for free a bit insane. But it might not be, and it's really important to understand why for a few reasons. For starters, exploring these bizarre auctions can give us a fantastic insight into how value is truly determined in a free market. It is also a great lesson in what makes economies run efficiently. And finally, to be fair, I missed out on the GameStop hype, so I'm making sure I capitalise on this while it's still relevant. But as always, to make sense of a market that looks to make absolutely no sense at all, we need to explore a few areas. What is a non-fungible token really, and what have most people been getting wrong about them so far? Can they really justify the absurd prices they've been selling for in recent months? And finally, if you were so inclined, how would one actually go about selling a GIF that they could get for free off of the internet for hundreds of thousands of dollars? Now, before we go any further, it's time for the big disclaimer. NFTs are a new and highly volatile market. Don't invest in something you don't fully understand. And if you take one thing away from this entire video, let it be that putting money into these tokens is gambling not investing. Got it? Good. Alright then, now that that is out of the way, it's time to understand what most people have been getting wrong when explaining NFTs. Fungibility is a word that refers to the equivalence or interchangeability of an asset or even a liability. The classic example of this is a $5 note. If someone offered you five $1 notes for your single $5 note, you'd be happy to make that trade. Neither collection of notes are worth any more or any less than any other collection of notes with an equal face value. This ability to trade any combination of notes with an equal value indiscriminately back and forth with one another is the essence of what fungibility is, but it's not as black and white as most people make it. An asset can't always be classed as fungible or non-fungible because in reality, everything that we materially value exists on a fungibility spectrum. For simplicity, let's say this spectrum is between 0 and 10, with perfectly fungible goods being a 0 and perfectly non-fungible goods being a 10. Now, you might think things like cash and cryptocurrencies belong down at 0 as perfectly fungible assets, but the thing is, they are not. And we'll get to why this is in a second. 
In the meantime though, consider pure commodity gold. It is about as close as you can get to a perfectly fungible asset. Gold is an element, so when talking about gold as a commodity, there is almost no way of telling one bunch of gold atoms from another bunch of gold atoms. Sure, they can be arranged into ornamental shapes in the form of jewellery or even stamped out as gold bars, but this can always be melted back down into a perfectly indistinguishable store of value. The only real gauge of its value as a commodity is how many gold atoms you have. Cash is the next step up from this for a few reasons. For starters, paper money in most advanced economies is serialised, which means it is possible to have notes in circulation worth less than face value. It's an extreme example, but suppose a bank is robbed and a selection of numbered bills are stolen. The bank will just report those notes as stolen, and from then on, no financial institution will accept those notes for deposit. This means that a $20 bill that has been part of a robbery does not truly have the same value as a $20 bill that is fresh off the money printer. What's more is that this exchangeability is not exhaustive. Trade a $20 note for four $5 notes and nobody has any issues. But try to pay $100 with nothing but pennies and things might not go as smoothly. Of course, these are all extreme examples and even though cash is serialised, most people outside of financial institutions don't pay attention to these numbers. So it's highly likely that at some point the cash in your wallet was involved in some kind of sketchy dealing with you and the authorities being none the wiser. One more step up from cash is electronic funds, like the ones you keep in your bank account. These are even less fungible because now all of a sudden, this is directly linked to an individual or a company through whatever name is on the account. You might think this doesn't really impact the actual value of the money within these accounts, and for the most part, and for the vast majority of people, it doesn't. But it can. Consider this. Would you rather receive a million dollars sent from the account of a reputable company? Or would you rather receive a million dollars sent from the bank account of a Mexican cartel? Both of these options still result in you having a million dollars, and even assuming that both of these organisations are happy to pay it, I'm going to say that most of you would prefer the regular company because that much money being wired to you from the second option is going to result in a knock on your door from the men in black. Theoretically though, had this been paid out in cash, this transaction record would not have existed. Therefore, electronic funds are less fungible. Now at this point you are probably wondering about cryptocurrencies. At the end of the day, one of their main selling points is that they are decentralised and outside of the direct control of a single government. Surely this means that they are more fungible than cash, right? Well, no. Despite what most outlets have reported when covering NFTs, regular cryptocurrencies are actually less fungible than money in the form of cash or money sitting in bank accounts. That's because people can see a full history of everywhere coins have been on the public ledger which is at the heart of how cryptocurrencies work. This means it can be painfully obvious if a coin has been used on dodgy websites or collected by scammers of unsuspecting victims. Such tainted coins may not even be accepted by the major exchanges due to their anti-money laundering and know your customer requirements. This of course makes it very difficult to sell these tainted coins for regular money. There are actually cryptocurrencies like Monero and Darkcoin which are specifically designed to get around this very well-known fungibility problem by encrypting their public ledgers. This creates its own problem though in the sense that not a lot of reputable businesses and exchanges want to deal with a currency that is specifically designed to keep shady dealings under wraps. Now one thing that I really want to emphasise here is that all of these examples, gold, paper, electronic money and cryptos, are all still very fungible. But it's irresponsible to assume that they are all perfectly fungible. 
Now, the reason that this is so important is that economists care a lot about this characteristic of tradable assets. Doing business where every dollar is slightly different from every other dollar would slow things down a lot, stifling trade activity and economic growth. That doesn't mean that this characteristic is always a good thing though. And in fact, there are times where people want assets to be as non-fungible as possible. Take an example like Pokemon cards. We did an entire video on this bizarre asset class, but on the surface they look like they should have a lot of the same characteristics as a fungible currency. One first generation Charizard should be exchangeable for another first generation Charizard, right? After all, they both look exactly the same and are functionally identical if you actually wanted to play the card game. But of course, they are not. Condition ratings can make one Charizard card worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, while another example might only be worth a few hundred. This is not something that afflicts cash for example because even the most shriveled up dollar bill is still worth a dollar. Now this isn't a bad thing. Collectors of everything from Pokemon cards to watches love the uniqueness of their particular item even if it was originally something that was mass produced. In fact part of what makes Pokemon cards like the first generation Charizard here so valuable is that there really is no way to tell how many cards in good condition are left in circulation and how many are rotting away at the bottom of a long forgotten school bag. But what if someone wanted to take this to the next level and remove the mystery around how many goods were left in circulation to make an item truly individual? Well, that is where our NFTs come in. Now of course, one of a kind assets have existed long before NFTs. Just think of any famous work of art. But in a world where digital items that are infinitely replicatable have become truly valuable, this is a genuinely powerful tool that is not really getting the credit it deserves. If you wanted to make sure that you were looking at the original Mona Lisa, it would be pretty easy to do so. It's common knowledge that this particular artwork is in the possession of the Louvre in Paris, so if you aren't there, chances are you're looking at a copy. NFTs work to do the same sort of thing. They create public knowledge of who holds the original work by creating a publicly accessible record in the ledgers of various blockchains. Most use the Ethereum blockchain, which is a cryptocurrency much the same as Bitcoin, just with a few extra nifty features which we will explore shortly. So, in the same way that someone might verify that they are looking at the original Mona Lisa by looking around and making sure that they are in Paris, someone else could make sure that they are looking at the original Nyan Cat by verifying that the person showing them the fluffy little space pop tart is the registered owner on the publicly available ledger. This publicly available mark of authenticity is extending beyond just digital assets as well. For example, Nike has obtained a patent that will allow them to use these digital signatures to ensure the authenticity of their footwear, which is huge given how prevalent convincing counterfeits have become in the luxury goods space. In fact, low-tech examples of this kind of system already exist. When you buy something like a Rolex for example, you get the watch, a nice box, but perhaps most importantly a little green card with an individualised serial number that can be used to register your ownership of that watch on the Rolex database. Losing this card can dramatically impact the price of a watch in the resale market because it makes it harder to verify if it is real. NFTs are simply a more decentralised version of this public database of authenticity. By understanding this, we can start to properly understand what it is that gives these digital records their astronomical values. There are basically two types of NFT sales. Those are sales that include an underlying asset with an NFT simply used to verify the authenticity of that asset, and sales of an NFT exclusively. The first are the easiest to understand. It's the underlying asset that primarily determines the price and the NFT is just a cool way to verify authenticity, ownership and sometimes even distribute benefits. 
For example, an investor paid $222,000 to purchase a segment of the digital Monaco racetrack in the F1 Delta Time video game. The NFT representing the piece of the digital track allowed the owner to receive a 5% dividend from all of the races that take place on it, including entry fee tickets to this digital track. In this example, the NFT simply facilitated the purchase of a digital asset that would provide an ongoing source of revenue. The value came from the ownership of the digital racetrack and the dividends that would be received from it, not from the NFT. In this case, all the NFT is doing is acting like a deed on a house in the real world. The same was true with the Beeple artwork that really pushed NFTs into the spotlight after selling for over $69 million at a Christie's auction. Again, the value really came from the ownership of the artwork, and the NFT was simply used as a way to verify that ownership. If the new owner was so inclined, they could license out this artwork and make money off it, because they own it. This is still sometimes a bit confronting to people because $69 million sounds like a lot to pay for anything. But in the world of high-end art, it's nothing too remarkable. Go and watch our video on the art market to make sense of those prices. Multi-million dollar pieces of art and digital real estate is nothing new. It might look weird to an uninvolved person, but in the defense of these markets, a lot of them have been really good investments. NFTs didn't create these markets, they simply made trade in them easier. So NFTs are getting a really bad rap because they are facilitating transactions in markets that themselves often get laughed at by outside observers. Fair enough. You don't have to agree that an artwork is worth millions of dollars, but as the saying goes, something is worth as much as someone is willing to pay for it. Now take that logic and throw it out the window, because the second type of NFT sale is where things get weird, because only the NFT is being sold and the buyer is getting nothing but a digital token. The ant cat was sold in such a sale. The person that bought the cat's NFT does not have any rights over the GIF itself. They can't license it out, they can't ask anybody not to use it, and they might not even be able to use it themselves for commercial applications because they don't own it. In the same way, the NBA has had massive success with the rollout of their own NFT program, which is allowing basketball fans to purchase tokens related to famous clips throughout the game's history. Again, the people who purchase these tokens do not own the clips themselves. They can't license them out, and chances are if they put them up on their own YouTube channel, they'd probably get a copyright claim from the NBA. So how does this make sense? Where is the value in this? Well, think of it this way. There are baseball cards that will feature a particular player. If you own a baseball card, even the ones that are worth millions of dollars, you don't own any rights to that player. You just own a card that people think is cool. And sure, Baseball cards physically exist, but they are just cardboard rectangles, so in many ways, this is a drawback to collectors because those physical cards will need to be kept in a secure location, insured, and protected from damage. A single scuff can cut the price of such a collectible in half. Compare that to an NFT, which exists digitally, and those same problems don't exist. So when non-asset-backed NFTs are thought of like pop culture playing cards, they make a little bit more sense. Nyan Cat is arguably far more recognisable these days than Mickey Mantle, yet his playing cards sold for more than nine times the money at an auction around the same time. What's more is that there is no way of knowing that this Mickey Mantle card is the only one out there in a similar condition, whereas given that NFTs are designed from the ground up to be, well, non-fungible, you can be guaranteed that the Nyan Cat NFT is one of a kind. Now, if you still insist that a string of digital numbers can never be as valuable as a physical asset, and that's fine, but 
anybody who has ever invested in cryptocurrencies would disagree with you. What Bitcoin did to gold as an inert speculative asset, NFTs are doing to collectibles. Not many people fully understand blockchain functionality, or the market for digital assets, or the market for niche collectibles, or the market for pop culture pieces of art, and for what it's worth, I'll be the first to put my hand up and say I am one of those people. Even fewer people will properly understand all of these different factors together, which is effectively what the market for NFTs is. But there is no denying that people with means see value in these individual markets. What's more is that they have historically seen good returns as well. So it's unfair for outside observers to write this off completely as some insane fad. Now with that being said, would I recommend throwing your life savings into this market? Absolutely not. But is it crazier than buying digital coins backed by nothing, or dropping two and a half million dollars on a planet in a video game, or five million dollars on a piece of cardboard? I would argue, no. So with that, I am proud to announce the Economics Explained NFT auction. No joke. To celebrate our 150th video on the channel, and to cash in on a hype train, we have made NFTs for every video on the channel up until this point. Highlights include the video on the economy of Norway, our video on global shipping, which is the most viewed by far on the channel, or of course, our video on the economics of YouTube, which had to be removed from the face of the internet for reasons. Perhaps you are feeling a bit hashtag meta, my fellow youths, and want the NFT for our video on NFTs. Or maybe you unironically liked Economics Explained better when it was a channel that made videos on Google SketchUp. We will sell the NFTs for those too. Why not? Of course, this is extremely silly, but any money we make off this will go to support the team behind these videos, and any money beyond that will go to support my new yacht, which I will be selling naming right NFTs for too, because at this point, you'd be silly not to. Thanks for watching, guys. Bye. The world is constantly changing and transforming. Cut through some of the noise with What's New with Wired, a podcast that goes in-depth on the latest news and technology and culture. Their award-winning journalism will help you make sense of what's happening in the world. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.